Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. Steph is joining us this week, and this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 13. Just a reminder to everybody, Elnaz Hashtamiri is still missing. Two weeks ago in our 11th episode, we covered her case and delivered all the information currently available, so make sure you listen to that episode to familiarize yourself with her story and help bring her home. This week, we are talking about a disappearance. Yes, we are. So, um, Dyson and I noticed that we have a lot of Australian listeners all of a sudden, so... So cool. I decided I would pick an Australian case, and this one is um i guess really popular there like a lot of people know this story it was a really big deal at the time so that would be interesting one to cover get our perspective on it yeah i remember seeing this on 2020 you told me i thought it was dateline Mm. i was like i remember seeing this episode that sounds like what you're telling me yeah and uh yeah you remember that it was 2020 from your research Mm -hmm. and so it's gonna be interesting I'm so happy to be here on the dark side with you tonight. <laughs> it's a stormy night. It is windy, rainy, yeah. spooky. Yeah. Very um, seasonally fitting to be on the dark side where it's always better to be on the dark side. I'd say. <laughs> we make it fun. Oh, yeah. We make it. It's a good environment. Tom and Eileen Lonergan were a married couple from America. They had waited for the perfect day to go scuba diving in the Coral Sea at St. Crispin's Reef, a popular dive site on the Great Barrier Reef, 25 miles off the northeast coast of Queensland, Australia. January 25, 1998 arrived, and they headed out with the rest of the group on the scuba boat The Outer Edge for their diving trip. Miles from the shore, they surfaced after spending nearly an hour underwater to find The Outer Edge was nowhere in sight. They called for help, but there was no response. Floating in the middle of the ocean, with nothing to hold on to but each other, they hoped that someone on board the outer edge would realize their mistake before it was too late. But the boat never returned for them. They were abandoned at sea, with nothing and no one in sight. It took two days before anyone realized they were missing, and a search was immediately launched. The search efforts yielded some of their personal belongings and gear, but Tom and Eileen were never seen again. Thomas Joseph Lonergan was born on December 28, 1964, and Eileen Cassidy Lonergan was born on March 3, 1969. They were described as young, idealistic, and in love. They're also described as devout Catholics with good prospects. Tom and Eileen lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where they both attended and graduated from Louisiana State University. They were married in Jefferson, Texas on June 24th, 1988, when Thomas, Thomas, he goes by Tom, when Tom was 23 and Eileen was 19. Eileen had taken up scuba diving and Tom developed an interest in it as well. So it turned into their like shared hobby and 
anyone around them who knew them, went diving with them, whatever, they all described them as diving veterans. Like to adventure together? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they knew what they were doing. They had a lot of dives under their belt. And yeah, it was like their shared little interest. I thought when you said they were idealistic and in love, you know how they say um, earth and water go well together. And he was the Capricorn and she was the Pisces. Mm. And it's a very sensitive match. You know, she's watery and sensitive with her mm-hmm. Pisces. And then Capricorn's the earthy, understanding person. They're supposed to be a good match. But it's interesting. And they, when I was, um, of course, just looking at their charts just to see what was going on, they both had some Sagittarius in them too, which I mm. think is cool. They like to do those things together. I thought that when you were talking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit of fire in there. Mm-hmm. Adventurous. Spark going, get the adventure. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Especially... You said Sagittarius, right? Yeah. Yeah, aren't they known to being a little bit like spontaneous, adventurous? Yeah, they like to do things. They like experience is more important than, you know, material things mm-hmm. sometimes. It's just that's, having the memories. That's actually um, really cool you pointed that out. Because in the early um, 1990s, they joined the U.S. Peace Corps. And they taught children in Tuvalu, uh, which is a, like it's a small South Pacific island. Mm. Um, which last week we did Smutty Nose Island, and the Smutty Nose Island is one small island in a group of nine. And this place, Tuvalu, where they went to teach, is one of nine small islands. That's really weird. Right? Kind of coincidence is that. It's just so funny how, like, little parallels like that always pop up. And then, so they taught there in Tuvalu, and they also uh, did U.S. Peace Corps work at Sigatoka methodist school in fiji so they really like to travel yeah and they like to teach very sagittarius and they also have she had a moon in virgo and he had mars in virgo i think that's oh two things that really seem to bring them together with those mutable placements they like to keep busy mm-hmm. they like to travel they like to teach and share and you know getting a lot done and doing it together and doing yeah. it together too which is really mm-hmm. cool and then like you said they value seems that they value experiences hobbies getting out there being active involved immersed they value that more and this really sort of speaks to that yes fulfilling for them it sounds like it's cool hit one of their friends his name's mike jones and he was also a member of the peace corps um he worked with them in fiji and he had this to say about them it's kind of a long paragraph but it's i think it's really important They were among those I considered to be my best friends in Peace Corps Fiji. They were just like the rest of us Peace Corps volunteers. They went through the challenges of Peace Corps life and were open and honest about their experiences. They were, like me, healthily cynical and had a great sense of humor. Tom and Eileen were two of the most wonderful, vivacious, adventurous, and generous people you could ever hope to meet. They were magnificent friends and I miss them every day. I know that they felt as I did. That, at the end of their Peace Corps service, they had accomplished something great. They devoted themselves to helping others, not for any sense of glory or martyr-like fame, but just to be of help to their fellow humans. That is really nice. I think that was necessary to share, too. Yeah, so you can see this is their friend's perspective, someone who spent a lot of time with them in a really um, like important part of their life, mm-hmm. in their volunteer work being in another country, working with children, making friends, and just seeing like they were real people. Yeah. Having a sense of humor, feeling happy for the work they were doing, just overall devoted and hearing that they're good friends. 
uh, good people to have around. It's just nice to get that inner perspective instead of, especially cases like this that um, at the time are so highly sensationalized, you kind of lose that personal touch and the yeah. fact that they are they were real people. They had other real people as friends and family. Yeah, it's not just a tragic story on the news. Yeah, it's There's, not just, yeah. hey, okay, it's the news cycle. Let's go. Let's run a story and sensationalize it in ways that dehumanize them almost. So I love that. I love to – it's a good quote. So by January 1998, January 1998, Tom and Eileen had plans to make their way to Hawaii and settle down, but they wanted to travel a bit more first, and so they decided their next stop would be in Australia. Because where they were, Tuvalu and Fiji are like on the like right near right near there, right on the um, same coast as Australia and stuff. So they were like, "Well, before we make our way all the way back to the states, then let's just stop here." It's so sad that that's like a spontaneous decision that you think is going to be fun, and then it is not as fun as you thought it would be. I know like, that's just so to putting yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. You would just be so regretful that you made that stop. You what, would have wished you just went home. Exactly, especially since that was the plan. But they were like, you know what? we got time to kill uh, before we go back to America or wherever. Let's yeah, stop here. So it was on January 25th. And it was, um, it was a part of this three-month holiday before they, like I said, were going to go back to America. And they were determined to dive the world's largest coral reef system, the Great Barrier Reef. And they had waited 10 days until the weather conditions were perfect for the dive. They were like, this is something we've always wanted to do. We need it to be the, per- the perfect chance. When are we going to have time to come back here and do this? Oh, wow. So they waited 10 days to make sure it was like just ideal. So Tom and Eileen departed their Karen's hostel in a bus from BTS Bus Company this BTS bus company comes up later. I tried to figure out what BTS stands for, but I don't really think it stands for anything specific. It could stand for a lot of things, but this company is essentially like dedicated to like shuttle, like transferring, like and taking people on tours and stuff, especially if you're not from the area. It's kind okay. of what this company does. So they just some type of tourist service. Yeah. yeah just like a sh- almost like a shuttle bus. Mm-hmm. So it was normal for people to go to Port Douglas, which is where, they were leaving from to go on the diving trip so this was like a normal bus that would take people out to port douglas and that's where they were booked on this dive charter boat the outer edge Mm -hmm. and for 160 bucks the crew would take divers for three dives on the ribbon reefs uh, which is a stack of broad shoals that run along the great barrier reef what's a shoal um it's the essentially just like the cluster of islands oh okay um so that is i'm pretty sure it's it's a cluster, I think, just in the sea. Because it's the islands that we talked about last week was on the Isle of Shoals. Yeah, I think like Dr. Shoals. You know? Oh my God. <laughs> like, what's, what? They I went out there to see if they could find any lone shoe inserts floating around out <laughs> Yo, there. I'm sure there are. <laughs> yeah. Where is it that like shoes wash up on the shore and they still have feet in BC? It? Yeah. I believe it's BC. That so it would, be this, it would be this same ocean then, the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Cool. Imagine you're like, you're just having a room. It's just it's your first date, and you're like on a romantic walk on the beach, and you're like, oh shit, someone lost a Nike, and there's a foot in it. Yeah. You're like, I don't know if this is, is this a sign? Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, this date isn't working. <laughs> it's a bad omen. I can't continue with this. I'm going home. Yeah. Okay, you know I love this game. So it was 160 bucks in 1998 mm -hmm. to do this um, this trip. They take you out. You get three dives. Um, what do you think that is today? It's Australian money. I don't mm. know if that makes a difference to you because I don't know the yeah, I don't exchange know the... rate or anything. But... No. Um, I'm going to guess, though, $280. Whoa, that's a really good guess. Oh, okay. It's $296. Oh, awesome. <gasps> okay. Are you looking at my notes? <laughs> <laughs> Turn the screen away. But you're like, I can't get it spot on. I'll just ballpark it. Let me just casually guess. <laughs> it's a guess, yeah. I'm so proud of that, though. No, that's, that's impressive because I love this game. <laughs> Usually I'm really bad at it. <laughs> just got to trust your gut. Don't think about it too much. Yeah, my first thought was 300 and then I was like, no, that's too high, but it oh, would have been really been, close. Yeah, would have been closer. You got to price is right it. Yeah, got to trust that gotta first. Got to go a little higher than lower. <laughs> Okay, so they arrived at Port Douglas, which is an upmarket diving and sailing town, and they boarded the Outer Edge, which is a 12-meter boat that was licensed to carry at least 26 passengers, and it was under the control of a guy named Jack Nairn. So I say at least 26 because the people on, the amount of people that were on this specific trip was 26. Mm -hmm. So you know, like, well, I don't know if that's the max it can carry, but you know it can handle yeah, that. Exactly. So the Outer Edge headed out with the 26 passengers. They traveled 58 kilometers northeast to St. Crispin Reef. Tom and Eileen did two dives on the reef in this area. And then around 3 p.m., a third dive was started at a dive city called a dive site called Fish City. So random. You said, is this their last dive? Last one. Okay. I When I cast the chart for the day, I did 3 p.m. I don't know why, but I thought I'm going to do 3 p.m. It sounds like a diving time to me. I've never been diving. I don't know <sighs> anything about it. Maybe my 2020 knowledge from like 10 years ago when I watched <laughs> this. I just remembered in intuitively, but I, that's the time that I looked at that's for um, their dive. That's wild because usually mm -hmm. when you're looking up stuff, you usually pick noon as a safe spot. I know, and I was going to, but I thought, no, I feel like you wouldn't really, like the sun's right there. I feel like you would scuba dive maybe. You you probably mm -hmm. do, but I don't know. I thought 3 p.m. and I'm going to go with it. Plus, especially because you um, all you really knew about this, um, you know, that was not buried in the recesses of your mind. <laughs> Apparently. Is that uh, they were left, so it must be the last dive. Yeah. So that's... Really it made good. sense. Yeah, your subconscious reasoning there was really impressive. So yeah, it was around three. That was okay. their their third dive of the day, which is their last dive. The first two was in this uh, same area near the St. Crispin Reef. But then for this third one, they moved um, a bit. I don't know exactly where they moved, but it's called Fish City, which is just really cool. <laughs> so it's probably like, I don't know, I just picture like Finding Nemo. And they're all same. in the reef, the reef down there. With this and... little like almost like roads with the schools of fish traveling mm -hmm. and they're all yeah that would be so cool to see so for this third dive tom and eileen advised the diving instructor her name was Catherine traverso they said you know what we're gonna go off and do this one on our own we're gonna go and do our own thing for this one it's the last dive we're quote unquote diving veterans and it's i guess not really something out of the ordinary if you are an experienced diver, a lot of experienced divers would sort of opt for this decision. Like they did the first two with the group. Mm -hmm. They got a feel for the area. They were like, yeah, let's go do the thing on our own. And so they headed off together and 
that's the last time they were ever seen. They were just swimming away calmly. Just keep swimming, just keep <laughs> swimming. I was gonna start speaking like a whale. <laughs> that was good. I just sound like Jax. Oh, I'm gonna kiss him on his little face. He's so cute. Tom and Eileen's dive details, along with their choice to dive alone, were not entered into the boat's dive master's logbook at the end of the dive. Sounds irresponsible. Right? Negligent. And uh, this is, like, it is important to know, especially for, like, this next part of the story. Um, but this next part of the story is reported differently in a few articles and stuff that I read. So I'll just say all of what I, what I read because... They kind of have a similar undertone anyway. Okay. So with the three dives complete, all the divers had boarded the outer edge. They were going to head back to Port Douglas. Uh, So here's uh, where we get into the different reporting. So the first thing is that it's alleged that a head count was conducted. All 26 passengers were accounted for and the the outer edge departed the reef, uh, obviously without Tom and Eileen. Yeah. How does that work? It's some people. It's just a Kevin McAllister situation, <gasps> like Home Alone, where it's a weird. How it's does that happen? The weird though? kid. Does it have all wheel drive? <laughs> that kid. Yeah. <laughs> I guess because um, some people say that they were on the boat, but they jumped back in, and they suicide mission. Which right? Like that. That would be though. That is one of the theories too. Oh, okay. It's like a. It's like a Oh, there's a bunch of wow. Yeah, theories. not to jump ahead. No, it's okay. It's people are probably thinking it anyway, especially if you already know this case. Like that is something people speculate on. So, um, what I was saying about how they they think that maybe they did jump back in. One of the things that was reported here is that they again they did a head count. They only came up with 24 of the 26 passengers that should have been on the boat. But that's when someone said, "Oh, yeah, two divers jumped back in the water." And the crew kind of looked around and was like, I don't see anyone in the water. So they just adjusted it to 26. And then wow. they were like, we must have miscounted, whatever. And then they headed out. And then there's uh, one of the passengers that was on the outer edge. His name's Richard Triggs. He later told the inquest um, into this whole situation that as far as he remembers, there wasn't even a head count done. They just left the dive site. I'm inclined to believe that. I mean, that just sounds more realistic to me. Like, to actually edit the paperwork, that's extreme. Like, that's so irresponsible. If you know that there's divers out there and then you were to, like, falsify that and leave them on purpose, I just, that sounds, I guess it could happen, but I feel like it was just comfortable thinking, yep, we've done this so many times. I'm sure they're, sure everyone's here. Let's go. Yeah, and there could be, like, truths in each one of that reporting. So maybe they did think they miscounted or maybe they didn't even count yeah they just did what like you're like saying a they lazy got, count yeah it they, looks like everyone's here exactly they just got comfortable kind of looked yeah. around and was like well i don't see anyone floating in the water still so let's go oh so i'm with you i'm kind of inclined to believe that they didn't even really do a head count no because how would you how would you leave how I would know. you that's like i know that's really really messed up and then that's why it was important to say that they never uh recorded oh, that one is so gross orange, bird, orange juice oh, no so that's why it is important to say that they never even recorded anything in the logbook 
because if you did, then you would know, well, Tom and Eileen themselves told the instructor, Catherine, that they were just going to go off on their own. Yeah. Should be reporting when, you know, teams come back or are moving on to another site and stuff. But no, I just don't think they were did a head count. Not, a, not an official one. Uh, it's reported by Christopher Coxon. Here's his job title. Ready? Acting Senior Inspector of the Department of Employment, Training, and Industrial Relations in Queensland. Okay. That's a, about, like, that leaves me wondering, okay, what do you do? <laughs> hey, well, you see, I'm an acting senior inspector at the uh, Department of Employment, Training, and Industrial Relations in Queensland. Wow. Like, cool, official. Uh, so he uh, reported that the Outer Edge had previously left dive, dive sites without carrying out a headcount uh, to ensure that all divers were back on board, which is what you should be doing. But that kind of goes in line with what we are saying. It makes sense that they probably did not even do a headcount. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to keep, tr- to like just do the headcount, log 26 people? Like, just get an attendance list beforehand and do like old school, like yeah, fifth grade. Raise your hand, say present if you're here. This is why I bet things are so strict now. When you yep. go, you're signing waivers. You're probably like they're checking every every person, and they're not leaving now until they know that everyone's there. In Australia, um, we can get into a bit more later when I come to that part. But this this situation exactly is a main reason that in Australia, at least, yeah, there is a much stricter process. So I mean, it sucks. <laughs> something like this has to happen to people yeah for reform to happen but it i mean you can just sort of glass half full at least at least there was something that came of it yeah so when the uh the outer edge got back to port douglas it docked the crew noticed there was a bag and two pairs of shoes left behind by someone a passenger or two since there's two pairs of shoes they didn't investigate it further they just put the bag and the shoes in the lost and found Okay, then. If that isn't wild enough, the boat was missing two tanks and two weight belts. Equipment used by the divers. So there's two pairs of shoes, a bag with personal effects in it, on the boat, and equipment for two divers is missing. And then there was a p- potentially only 24 passengers on the board, on board. but then when they were leaving the dive site, conducting that head count, there should have been 26 passengers, and now you have... A set of two things missing. Yeah. It's just... This is so negligent on their part. Just make sure your head just, like, hurt. Like, what? You know how we've talked about the outer planets having control that are outside of our hands? Mm -hmm. This day, January 25th, 98, um, the sun was in Aquarius. (laughs) And it was wedged between Uranus and Neptune. And Neptune was at the very final degree of Capricorn. The sun was, let me take a look here. I want to say at the fourth degree. And then you had Uranus at the eighth. Yeah. And so the sun was in between them. And Neptune is associated with the ocean. Mm -hmm. And also with being such an elusive planet, things get lost. Things that you don't see. Things that you just can't find. Um, Things that don't make sense. Like we actually just had sun conjunct Neptune last Saturday. It exacted. Oh. If you felt weird that day, overwhelmed, like 
you're driving and people are doing things that are ridiculous. You're thinking, why are you doing that? Not even looking where you're going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me and Orlando were out and we were just like, people are being ridiculous. But some conjunct Neptune can make it where people are just not thinking about what they're doing. Higher chances of things like going unseen. Exactly. Or you might lose something. Like those things are just heightened. But the sun being wedged between those two planets that day, those two outer planets, I just almost feel like they were like at the mercy of like what was out of their control. Uranus like being so unexpected and kind of related to accidents and things that Mm -hmm. you don't plan on happening. Like you cannot plan for Uranus. And then Neptune, the ocean, mystery, the you know disappearance going unseen like oh and the God. fact that people were like hmm oh look there's equipment here oh look there's lost and found like let's just let's right just get rid of it let's just get rid of it. like that's so neptune like being swept under the rug people not really seeing what's in front of them ignoring it not thinking clearly making bad decisions oh and they're bad results at the at the hands of other people and and there's that tom appearance. and eileen yeah just in the middle of that you know and the moon was in sagittarius that day as mm-hmm. well which just you know, travel, adventure. It's this free loving, you know, supposed to be a good time when you think of the positive side, but the negative side is losing your freedom. Yes. You know, when there they are like lost at sea, potentially, it's really creepy. And the devastation of them having planned for the perfect day, waiting 10 days to do this and picking literally the worst time. And then all of those things working against them, the Mm -hmm. fact that they're in the fucking ocean yeah the negligence of the people around them being out of their control they can't control that boat and what people decide to do with it take off without them and then the glaring red flags that are right in these people's faces like hey stop and think about this for a second stop being so watery and negligent about it like it's right here there's signs right here if you just stop and read them yeah really creepy and then yeah just the how like Neptune and the ocean all I know are supposed to work together, but it's out of your hands. Yeah, it's the outer planets and just the ugh. it's just I just can't get over the fact that they waited ten days yeah. for the perfect time, and they were probably so excited about this. They looking were for the beautiful weather, and then something totally unexpected and. You cannot plan for what happened. No. And it's just the, one of those Especially feelings. you're used to this. They're diving yeah. veterans in the eyes of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you, you obviously can't plan for it anyway. But when you're so comfortable with your hobby, it's what you do. Yeah. And then to think, it's obviously something that could happen, but it can't happen to us. We know what we're doing. Yeah. That's why they opted to go out alone. So, yeah. third dive, it's the last one. We've always wanted to be out here. We're in the, the freaking Great Barrier Reef. Let's yeah. go off and not be, like, micromanaged. Let's do it on our own. And then you never come back. Yeah. That's just horrible. It's, it's really scary. So they, that bus that I probably spent a long, a lot more long. <laughs> that bus that I spent way too long trying to explain to BTS. They arrived. They're going to come. They're going to take the people back to the, hosp- the hostel. And so the bus driver, his name's Norman Stigant. He went to the, the bus's office between 5.30 and 6 p.m. that day. And he reported to the owner. Her name's Corinne. That um, Tom and Eileen weren't waiting for him when he arrived at the wharf in Port Douglas. He reported that he he looked around for them. He went, he checked, like, all of the popular areas around there. So he went to, mm-hmm. like, this ice cream parlor. He went to the coffee shops. He went inside of the hotel that's right there. Anywhere that he thought, hey, maybe they could be posting up or shopping, whatever. Yeah, maybe they went to do something random. Yeah, like, the, whoa, let's we'll wait for the bus and go and yeah. grab a cup of joe and check out the gift shop or something. Uh, he didn't find them anywhere. 
And like kudos to this guy. He knows I'm shuttling this this group. Here's the people in the group. Mm-hmm. He to a head count. Yeah. And he was like, shit, I gotta go and find them. I don't want to take off without them. And he did this part, even when he reported it to his his boss or the owner. I don't know if they're interchangeable, but to the owner. And was like, yo, I did not find these two. So Corinne, she she reported that she phoned the Outer Edge dive charters. She spoke to a person there. She thinks that it was the owner of Outer Edge, this guy named Tom Colrin. And um, she later reported that she couldn't remember exactly what they talked about. Because I guess in that moment, why would you remember everything? But she clarified that the overall tone of that conversation was that Tom... It's not Tom's fault. He can't control what people do. Like, they can leave without them. And I I don't really know exactly what that means. If them is the charter, like, once they got back to to the port, then they could just leave. Mm-hmm. So even though they weren't waiting for the bus, that's no one's business. They could have just gone off and done their own thing. I don't know. Either way, the under the overall tone of the conversation was not my problem. Yep. So... I just just good on this company. They were like, well, let's just do our best. Let's try and locate them because we do know they were supposed to be on this bus with us. And everyone else that was supposed to be on the bus from the Outer Edge was. So where are they? Yeah, good on these people for actually giving a shit. I know. Yeah. It was just something that really shocked me. Because um, I don't know, just think about any time that you've been on a bus um, or anywhere, really. Not like counting like a school trip or something where you're going to have a teacher that's interested in where you are because they should be just a guy who's shuttling a bunch of grown-ass people yeah and he He was probably had a feeling yeah you know some people just maybe that day he was like i don't know these people seemed so except like they would be back this doesn't make sense right and there was a ton of people that had reported like like afterwards after the fact that um tom and eileen were Obviously, everyone, all anyone ever has to say is how nice they are. Yeah, they sound so responsible. Yeah, how excited they are. Um, multiple people that saw talked to them that day and the days leading up to it were like, no, they're the nicest people. They're so pumped. Yeah. They're excited for this trip. Like, probably, I don't know Not, how many people were on the shuttle, but probably would have made an impression with the driver. Yeah. Being like, these people are pumped. Yeah. Now and they the wouldn't just, like, run off. Like, they're too, you know, they were too polite to, like, just not show up for the bus and just leave you people know, hanging yeah i don't know it doesn't sound in their character from what you've i agree it doesn't yeah. sound in their character but there is people that think they people just don't you know that will make their that's more work for their day to give a you know to call people and to try and find these people it's easy to think they're on vacation they're probably just having fun did something spontaneous right you know on January 27th, so that's two days after the Outer Edge had returned to Port Douglas without Tom and Eileen, the crew on the boat decided they had opened that bag that they had found, the one that they had put in the Lost and Found. Oh, finally. So inside they found Tom's wallet, the couple's clothes and passports. Yeah. And Tom's glasses. Like, do you think if they maybe looked sooner that you would have realized that and not thought that they were out, you know, maybe having coffee or ice cream or something along the strip that day? Instead of on their bus? Yeah, the wallet's there. Yeah. They can't buy anything. No one's disappearing without their passport, most likely. I don't know. No. Glasses? He can't even... Tom can't even see if he doesn't have his glasses. And he has glasses. Like, like they're... So does he have, like, prescription scuba? Oh. Like, goggles or something? I don't you know. must, right? He, I would think so. If this is... Like, they aren't... 
like novice like they are pros they probably have like the best equipment yeah they're like no we're we got my handy dandy spectacle unless you put contacts in yeah maybe because he would have goggles on anyway yeah i don't know i don't know how it works i feel like he if in this case he would have had oh obviously we have no idea (laughs) but i like to speculate that he has really cool prescription scuba goggles so you know they found this stuff in the bag it isn't yeah, like someone left behind some gum. Like, it's important no. things. So, uh, concerned, Jack Nairn, he called the owner of the hostel in Cairns where Tom and Eileen had been staying to see if they had returned. Yeah, they hadn't. Uh, surprise, surprise. So, it was at that point that Jack called the police. And it's estimated that at this point, it was 51 hours after Tom and Eileen were left at sea. Oh, my God. 51 hours. And by then, like, that's, Yeah. You would know already that it's too late. Yeah. So on January 28th, the search for Tom and Eileen began with the aid of the police, the Navy, civilian divers, anyone who was um, in the area to help. They went. And in total, it was 17 aircrafts, two helicopters, and countless boats that were involved in the search efforts. And in total, they searched a... 3,200 square nautical mile area of ocean and coastline. And after more than two days in the ocean, the couple most likely would have drowned or been eaten by sharks is a huge one people think. I actually was thinking that when we were talking, like, Mm -hmm. I was going to say to you, do you think it's possible that they could have been eaten? It's definitely possible. I don't think that that, personally speaking... Mm-hmm. If they were eaten by sharks, I don't think that's why they died. I think they would have drowned yeah. and then maybe been eaten. I don't think they died because they were attacked and eaten. Yeah. I think that they just sadly drowned. And you don't find bodies. It's it's kind of easy to think, well, maybe they were eaten. That's why they were never found. But there's a lot of, you know, water. Mm-hmm. It's probably easy to just go missing. There's a ton of people that get swept away or whatever and you never, never see them again. Yeah. So I think that's my opinion. Sadly, no trace of Tom and Eileen was found. And after three days, this search was called off, um, which makes sense because they had, they had the Navy involved. They had police, aircraft and stuff. Like three days is a pretty generous time mm-hmm. frame to be looking with all of these like major players in the game. So it was... This was called off. I think it was more or less reduced. So you still had civilians out there looking. Police were still looking, but it wasn't so wide scale. Yeah. Um, the the police determined that the currents, they probably carried Tom and Eileen like far away. The currents can just literally take you and you have no idea. Yeah. And so they would have most likely been so far away from that original dive area. Plus there was a bunch of debris on the shore and in the water because there was a there was like these recent cyclones that had happened. So it made spotting anything of value really difficult for the search team, especially from aerial, like aerial views. Yeah. Because there's just debris everywhere. So you don't really know. If you can check every single thing you see, you would hope. Yeah. But with all of the debris, it makes it hard. So they were like, okay, we got to call this off. So despite this extensive search being called off, clues would be discovered over the next few days that offered glimpses into the lives of Tom and Eileen as they floated at sea, alone, abandoned. So scary. It makes me, like, 
claustrophobic to think about it. Yeah. Like, even though it's just open water, like, you would still feel claustrophobic. Yeah. It's just I, you yeah. and one person floating alone at sea. There's so much pressure in water. I've always, like, had a little oh. bit of a fear of water. Yeah. And, you did, yeah, you don't like open, deep water. Yeah. Just, um, like, when I was little, I was so scared of it. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's not the same, but... I still, when I'm in a lake or in a, there's immense pressure and you feel it around you. Like water is very heavy. Mm-hmm. I've always been so, like, I would never go scuba diving. I would I, I just think it's terrifying. It's unnatural. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we. You're like, I'm not a fish. I know it's so scary to me. You know, like in that episode of Seinfeld where they try to go scuba diving and Jerry gets that thing. His eyes are like. Oh, yeah. From the pressure. I feel like that would happen to me. Oh my god, it would happen it's to like, me too. Yeah. I could not wear goggles. No, I always I a like giant my eyes head. are gonna get sucked out. <laughs> <They're> custom made <laughs> my custom made prescription scuba oh goggles. God. Yeah. I I I think I would be too scared to go scuba diving. I could say that now because I'm terrified since this research of the story, but maybe yeah. one day. I don't know. I don't think so though. Even if not you're out in the, even if you're out in the water in a boat. You feel a little bit better. Obviously, mm-hmm. you hope the boat doesn't sink or something, but you still feel better. You don't want to be floating alone no. on the surface, just vulnerable. Gosh. I forget what I said last. Okay. Oh, yeah. So the a few things were found over the course of like the next few days, weeks, months um, if, uh, that belonged to them. That kind of offered, like I said, glimpses into their last moments floating alone and abandoned. Did you hear that? <laughs> in early February, a woman's wetsuit matching Eileen's size, description, all of that, it, it washed ashore in North Queensland. Upon examination of barnacle growth on the wetsuit, it was determined it had likely been submerged in the ocean since January. Uh, there were tears along the butt and the armpit area of the suit, which led a lot of people to initially believe that they were attacked by sharks. But examiners of the suit presume the tears were actually a result of it coming in contact with the coral. Mm-hmm. Not I feel like the shark would just sharks. eat the suit. I know. Like, like a, pick the meat out of the suit? Yeah. That's so gross. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah. Just, yeah, if they find their suits, I don't, I can't see them being eaten by something. And so, and it had like, this barnacle growth on it and mm-hmm. stuff, which means it was probably, I'm going to, okay, no, I'm not going to talk about it. Like, I know anything about barnacle growth. <laughs> but... The, the experts here looked at it and they said, this is from coral, which coral can be, can, is unforgiving. It can fuck you up. On February 5th, Tom's buoyancy compensator device was found north of Cooktown, which is nearly 200 kilometers north of Port Douglas. There was no tank attached to the vest. Mm. A buoyancy compensator device for all of you who are not scuba divers. I was going to ask you. Uh, there's like different designs of them but they are essentially just vests and it's uh worn by divers to help them establish neutral buoyancy underwater and positive buoyancy at the surface so it just helps you stay buoyant so if you wear this vest you have buoyancy okay buoyancy (laughs) buoyancy (laughs) supposed to help you if you need it yeah it's just to make sure that you don't sink or drown it helps you just based on you can get different types, different types of vests. Uh, sorry, I don't know exactly which one they were wearing, but there's the gist of it. 
a okay. boy a buoyancy vest. The uh, the search was officially called off on February fourteenth. So even three days after the initial one was called off, that was just for all of all of the resources they were using, Navy, police, whatever. Yeah. But uh, February fourteenth is when it was officially done. Um, something that is really eerie, like it's I think it's really creepy. Um, and it falls in line with evidence that was found. But it was only one day after um, Tom and Eileen were left behind. That that same boat, the Outer Edge, had brought a different tour party, different group of passengers, to the same area for another dive. And one diver found six dive weights resting on the bottom of the, resting on the bottom, the ocean floor. Uh, all, like oblivious to what had happened the previous day, that just thought it was a cool find. Like, oh shit, I got dive weights. Yeah, like they don't just come upon that all the time. Sick. Hmm. So it's just like scary because at that point, a lot of people think that they were still alive. Uh, they just, could have been, right? Yeah, because it was only one day yeah. later. And so uh, based on something else that they find later, it is most likely that they were alive at this point. And they're probably only a few miles away. Oh, my God. But do you think they were trying <sighs> to mark a spot? Well, or dive weights. Um, so when you're diving, you have like a belt. And you yeah. have the weights on them so that you can sink, yeah. obviously, because you're going to go and dive. So I was thinking about the best. I'm like, there's something that counteracts that then that I will probably find. And here we go. Yeah. So yeah. The, they, like, it's speculated that when they realized they were abandoned, obviously it's already hard enough to tread water. So they yeah. probably removed the weights and dropped yeah. them. And then used the belt to either tie themselves together or just to not have the weight. Maybe they were trying to wave it yeah. around or something. Like, you never know what they could have been. So that's what's like. speculated. So it's most likely that these were their weights. Wow. That they got, they ditched to. And at the fact that it's in, like, the same spot. Like, I wonder if they knew that. If they were, like, knew the markings or the way that things look. They're like, this is where we were dropped off. And they waited there. And then ended up like getting swept away a little bit and not being there when they came back, and they couldn't find their sp- like I just yeah. you wonder what happened the details, yeah just just to imagine what was going through their head the thought processes that they would have had mm-hmm. and that is I I wonder that too I do wonder if they knew hey this is where we were dropped because I don't know how the areas would be marked but dive sites designated dive sites would be marked right so that you as the diver would know, hey, don't go outside these limits because, you know, the crew on the ship won't be able to see you or it's dangerous out there or whatever. Yeah. So they, and they're experienced divers. They probably would have known or uh, like become equipped with ways to mentally note those things. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I just thought that was really eerie and just sad to think they're just, just out of sight somewhere alive. And someone just found their their dive weights just thinking it was a score because, like, when do you find something actually useful unless you were looking for buried treasure or something? (laughs) Yeah. So I was just like, oh, I'd be creeped out. The same exact ship that takes this, uh, the same boat, same touring company takes another group of people and they find traces of the people that you left behind but at this point it's only a day later and they don't even know that they left anyone behind yeah and it's just so creepy well 
In June, so six months after their disappearance, more of the couple's diving gear was found. It was washed ashore approximately 121 kilometers from where they had been left. Um, among these items, there was an inflatable, inflatable dive jackets marked with Tom and Eileen's names. One of Eileen's fins and their compressed air tanks, which still buoyed by the remnants of air that were left in it. Wow. So when the boat didn't, like, most likely when they realized this boat's not coming back, or if it is coming back, it's not anytime soon, so that it probably started to get dark, uh, they likely dropped their tanks when they realized like, the tanks are empty or almost empty. Why mm -hmm. have extra weight on us? And if they were aluminum, which a lot of tanks are, then they would have just floated away. Yeah. So they washed ashore eventually. So in this case, six months later. Wow. A, a 100 miles from where they had been left, a fisherman found a weathered diver's slate. So it's it's a piece of it's a slate, and um, divers use it to communicate underwater. She can't oh. talk to each other. So you literally just write messages to each other. That's cool. So he found um, one of those, a diver's slates. Written on it was a message, which permanently recorded Tom and Eileen's thoughts as they waited in the water after no. surviving the night. Oh, wow. So it said, quote, Monday, Jan 26, 1998, 08 a.m. To anyone who can help us, we have been abandoned on Agent Court Reef by MV Outer Edge, 25 Jan 1998, 3 p.m. Please oh help to God. rescue us before we die. Help! Three exclamation marks. I've also read that Eileen's father's contact information was left on the slate as well, but... I only read that in one place, so I can't confirm that. But wow. I have goosebumps. It's so scary. Yeah. The so, message from beyond, from them. So that was 8 a.m., which is um, going back to when we were talking about how a day later the diver from the same Outer Edge group, well, different yeah. group, found the weights. It's most likely that they were alive still at that point. Yeah. Um, it was 8 a.m., so if they lived past 8 a.m., which I think they could have mm -hmm. it's just so oh. it's just sad because you knew that they knew what was happening like they would have had to come to terms with that and accept like okay they might not come back for us and it's, it's just so much to go through it would be and it's you and like your best friend in the world yeah. your wife your husband and yeah. and I just think so, so they knew exactly where they were at they knew they were above a different reef they knew what time it was like. 8 a.m yeah they knew that they, they had were, something on them. They remembered. Well, I know that a lot of divers do wear watches. Yeah. So maybe you know how some watches have dates as well. So mm -hmm. they they were still really with it, and it's just oh, so scary. Yeah, and they were so hopeful. You know. Mm-hmm. I would be. Oh, how yeah. else are you gonna survive yeah. out there? You'd have to be hopeful. Like someone will come for me. Yeah. Coroner Noel Noonan ended the inquest into the disappearance of Tom and Eileen, saying they had drowned or died of exposure after being left at St. Crispin Reef. He said they likely died sometime between 8 a.m. on January 26th and February 2nd. It, oh, whoa. So 8 a.m. comes from the fact that that slate was found. That they That's a large gap, though. That's days. Oh, imagine. That's really <sighs> sad. Horrifying. Just... 
you and your loved one just stuck waiting for help. On Friday, October 10th, 1998, Noel Noonan formally charged skipper Jack Nairn with manslaughter for the unlawful killing of Tom and Eileen. He's the one that was commanding the boat that day. In court, Noel Noonan said, quote, The skipper should be vigilant for the safety of passengers and ensure safety measures are carried out. When you combine the number of mistakes and the severity of the mistakes, I am satisfied a reasonable jury would find Mr. Nairn guilty of manslaughter. So the trial began on November 8, 1999. The prosecution experts speculated that, based on the state of the gear recovered, the couple had not likely experienced an animal attack, but rather succumbed to delirium resulting from dehydration, which caused them to voluntarily remove their diving suits. Without the buoyancy provided by their gear, they testified the couple would have been unable to tread water for long and would have drowned. I think that makes sense, especially um, think about people who succumb to hypothermia. Yeah. They you take your clothes off. Yeah. Like it just, you're delirious. Yeah. So maybe if you are really, really dehydrated, you think, hey, I'll take my gear off. Well, you know, have you ever, you know, when you like um, run your hand under really hot water, it feels cold. Mm-hmm. When you, something's so hot, it starts to feel cold. Yeah. So if something's so cold, would you start to feel hot? Like I think it, so. I think that that is just how. It makes sense that you would do that and then you would take all your clothes off. Like, it just seems, it's I a, don't know. It's a fitting um, guess or presumption. Yeah. Even think about being a kid and, and playing in the snow and you're with your mm-hmm. bare hands making like a snowball or something and your hands are so freezing that they feel like they're burning. Yes, they feel like they're burning. So yeah. it, it makes sense. So then the trial took a, a desperate and unpleasant turn when the defense introduced a specific piece of evidence to try and prove Jack's innocence. This part is just gross to me. So this guy named Graham Houston, uh, the counsel for the operators of the Outer Edge, he shocked everyone when he brought up the idea that Tom and Eileen's death was actually the result of a double suicide. Or wow. or it was, um, it was actually because Tom murdered Eileen before taking his own life. Or maybe it was because he, they uh, faked their own deaths and started a new life. The idea that, okay, imagine taking your partner out, your wife out, so that you can attack her in the water and straight, like, how, what would he even do? What would you do? How would you, like, that's so much effort. Like, yeah. There's a million other ways. Like, I'm just trying to imagine. (laughs) It's so, so stupid. That sounds so dumb. It does, right? That you would take your partner out and then, like, kill yourself i guess i guess you could you could do anything people do you know, do crazy things but i just that sounds weird to me and i was thinking when you you mentioned that people had said they did do a head count um but then they had gone back in the water and the crew looked at each other confused when did they say that was it convenient for the trial that that was said so that it could kind of seem like see there's evidence for the suicide because that's what i said and you said that it sounds they would be committing suicide Mm -hmm. if they willingly went into the water knowing the boat was leaving that like that just sounds like you know yep and yes you are right so uh before the trial there was obviously an inquest into all of this which is just a like judicial proceeding over everything see what the evidence are testimony from people Mm -hmm. and it was um especially people who worked at the outer edge were putting out misleading details to the public to the media whoever to 
yeah. essentially tried to cover their own asses with it. Um, when exactly they made the statement that they did do a head count, but maybe they miscounted and maybe it wasn't 24, it was 26, or maybe they did jump back in the water or whatever. That's the, that's the thing that was reported differently. But when that was said exactly, I'm not sure. But they had been leading up to the trial purposely mm-hmm. giving statements that would put doubt in people's mind as to Tom and Eileen's motives that day. Yeah. Not just their own negligence. They were like, it's deflecting. So that's a really good thing that you picked up on there. Um, and at first, people were like how we were saying, like, that sounds crazy. That sounds outlandish. Uh, why would they go out there to either both kill themselves to either have Tom murder his wife or to just fake their own death. That's yeah. silly. We love scuba diving so much. This is how we want to go out. Like, I don't know. Right. And at first, that's how people were thinking about it. Well, that's stupid. People, but... their friends, wouldn't they have, you know, suspected? Yes, they were de- They were depressed. They, you know, they seemed like they were doing so much to live life. Like, mm-hmm. they were very fulfilled. They were, you know, and that's not to say that it doesn't happen to people because that's not you know Mm -hmm. you don't know you don't know how people feel but it's it just does not seem realistic in the right it seems a little extreme like why go to all these measures to carry out whatever plan especially in this case the defense is saying it could be this it could be that or it could be this Mm -hmm. and we know that leave the people that you love with questions like that you know Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just doesn't seem right with their character. Like, I don't know. I just don't believe that with the way that they've been described. And their family felt the same way. So the defense, uh, when I said, like, I just find this part gross, it was because they then, um, quote unquote, melancholy passages from Tom and Eileen's diaries were raised as evidence in the and read in the courtroom. That's so invasive. Yeah. How so, did they get those? Uh, well, they were found in the hostel that... Tom and Eileen had been staying at. Oh. So they, and some of them were written shortly before they had disappeared. And allegedly the diaries hinted at personal troubles and some entries could be interpreted as disturbing, I guess, based on who you are and whatever. Some of the entries are available. I'm not going to read them. I mm-hmm. didn't even put them in my notes because I don't want anyone reading my fucking diary. No, that's a, yeah. It's so invasive and a gross tactic. You're literally yeah. have, you're grasping at straws. So let's try and make ourselves look better by making these people look worse. Yeah. So according to Eileen's parents and family members, the diary entries were taken out of context and both sides of the family were really upset that their personal thoughts and feelings were just plastered everywhere for people to read, to interpret, to analyze. Yeah. And twisting their words Mm -hmm. too. That's just horrible. And the family, the coroner, Noel Noonan, and the Port Douglas police claimed that the only passages that would validate the theories brought forward by the defense were leaked to the press, whereas the majority of the diaries remain unread except by those who were close to the case. So because the entries were leaked to the press, it just resulted in all these people kind of siding with the theories the defense had about, well, maybe it was a, a double suicide. Maybe it was murder. Maybe it was a faking of a death to get away, start a new life. And then it also messed stuff, some stuff up because it resulted in all of these quote unquote sightings of Tom and Eileen. And it just, it, it really kind of hampered everything. Yeah. I don't think that they would have left that message saying we've been left behind right. help if that wasn't the truth. And they were, you know, 
I know. And then it's just like, I understand what you say. It's disgusting. The, the, I think it's the really... lengths that they're going to just probably because they don't want their business to be affected. They don't want to be blamed for this and sued or whatever their concern is. They don't want. Yeah. It's just selfish. They're yeah. just thinking. Let's try and raise our profile while diminishing their profile. Because if we make one of us look better than the other, then maybe yeah. our story will prevail. Yeah. And I, I think the oversights that were happening that day with the Neptune, Uranus, mm -hmm. things that weren't being seen. And, you know, Saturn really represents accountability and consequences. And you can't really escape the actions mm. that you that you take, right? Saturn that day was forming a very harsh aspect to Mercury. And kind of makes me think, you know, Mercury really represents... I think how they were feeling in that moment, like the fact that they were left behind when you think about the the thought process that failed them, mm -hmm. you know, they were unfortunately not, there was a huge oversight there. Right. They really fell between the cracks. And when you think about consequences and the fact that they were alone out there floating and they, are, they had their equipment, like nothing could save them really. And they left this message behind, Mercury, that's what I was getting at with that. Right, right. Um, they left this message behind um, and it it's, didn't reach anyone and it was kind of at the hands of these people, you know, outer influences that you can't control, things that restrict you, that stop you from being able to, you know, Saturn is there. Um, I think that when you, I was, came to mind because of the trial going on right now, when you think about consequences. Yeah. And this, th there wasn't really justice here, it sounds like. Um, Saturn, unfortunately, is a strong force in this case, you know, impacting Mercury, impacting their ability for their message to get out. And like the practicality, logical part of yeah. it, where it says, well, let's not interpret anything too deeply here, just at face value, logically. Does this make sense as negligent? Yeah, it does. But you have all these outside forces where mm -hmm. they literally fell between like, they just, it's so sad. It is. There's so much oversight and just the other, oh, it's not right. And how you're saying, well, it sounds like there wasn't justice here. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of the trial, Jack Nairn was found not guilty. Mm -hmm. So not surprised by that. Eileen's father, his name is John Haynes. He actually ended up traveling to Karen's for the hearing because remember, they're from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, quote, the defense attorney used those diaries to absolutely slander, to absolutely destroy these two people's reputations. I was disappointed in the verdict. I, verdict. <laughs> verdict. I was disappointed in the verdict. I felt like the jury didn't believe that they were dead. And to me, that was the essence of this trial, was to prove that they had died. The Skipper's Dive Company, Outer Edge, they did face separate charges under workplace health and safety laws, and they the company did plead guilty to the negligence. They were fined $27,000, and then they ultimately went out of business. Oh, okay. And so, like, how you're saying, well, it sounds like justice wasn't really served in a lot of cases, and a lot of people were disappointed with this verdict, not just the family, just people in the public in general. People were like, yeah. well, I just feel like it's not a really a verdict we're happy with, so... They felt a fine of $27,000 on the company and not sentencing those responsible was a huge mistake and was not justice at all. A lot of people also felt the court and the jury thought tourism money was more important than holding Jack and Outer Edge responsible for their negligence. Yeah, there was greedy people here. I think that people being selfish and 
when they probably realized that they had been left behind. I can't imagine that day like that no one knew. Someone must have said, hey, there was people here that weren't here or that aren't here Mm -hmm. that were here before. Mm -hmm. Like, and I feel like people were just trying to protect themselves, their jobs. And the fact that like it was 51 hours, I think you said. 51 hours. It could have been mm -hmm. an hour. It could have been two hours. Could have been 10 hours even if someone came forward and was like, let's actually call or like, you know. Even think about that bus driver who was looking around. Like, Like he tried. He's like, I know that there was two other people I'm supposed to take back. They're like, hmm. No, we can't. I, I don't know. It's not our responsibility. That's we already brought so... her back to shore. I can't tell you where they went from here. It's not our problem. And then How can think, you not be held responsible for that? How can, like, that doesn't make sense to me. Even think about um, them finding that bag. They could have looked in the bag right away. Mm-hmm. If you even just look at all of your crew on that ship and go, is this yours? Yeah. Joe, is this yours? Jim, is this yours? They just threw it aside. You just opened like... it then. Open it. It's on your ship, technically, or your boat. Just open it. See what's in it. You'd find out that it's someone's people's passports, someone's wallet, their glasses. Yeah. Essentials to especially a tourist. Yeah. And why wouldn't you look? Because when you find something, often people will look to see whose it is. Maybe there's a number you can call mm-hmm. um, and say, hey, I have your stuff here. Like, that's normal. Mm-hmm. You can, like, that's how you return things to people. You or- could have... It's just so weird that they didn't look at it. Doesn't I'm, make sense. I'm just thinking about this now, and I hope it's not the case. But what if they did look at it right away? I know, and like then it realized, like, oh fuck, these people didn't come back. So then they just put it in lost and found. Yeah, like doesn't it kind of ooh, sound like there could be something a weird? Of like some kind? people sound selfish here. And when I look, just at that day, if you were to make a judgment based on this day, just when I look at it, and you look at Saturn in Aries, very personal sign. Mm-hmm. Saturn is in fall in Aries. It doesn't like it there because Aries is very focused on the self. And mm-hmm. Saturn, that means that when there's consequences, they're very personal. Like you're going to have some unfortunate consequences there. So just when Aries Saturn is there, having the impact with Mercury, and then Jupiter is conjunct Mars in Aquarius at a critical degree and Jupiter is your sense of justice right and Jupiter is I think overpowered in a way here I was just with Mars say that. there it's kind of overshadowed for yeah. sure yeah and just looking at that if you were to think or is there justice that's served here or is there people with good intentions you know at the hands of who left them at sea when you look at that it really seems like very dark you've got Jupiter and Mars there like that's a a negative force there with a, with a sense of justice like was there people kind of trying to cover it up or something yeah and then think about how you, how you've been talking about all of the outer influences yeah and how this their the saturn between. is a little bit more um overshadowed and they're wedged between then it Uranus kind of points there, yep. to that maybe on the day that, that outer edge boat came back maybe they did look in that bag maybe an hour after they came back from from the reef maybe immediately and could have just put it in lost and found as a you know what not my problem and then that goes to speak to tom and eileen being left in the middle of the fucking ocean yeah with stuff out of their hands someone could have came back to look for them but they didn't because it's easier for them to sweep it under the rug which is very um impact impacted by their neptune aspect right yeah the fact that you could take something like mystery hidden absolutely so neptune it's just, it's just, I didn't think about that till right now when, when maybe they really did see it right away, what was in that bag. It's but, just... But instead put it in Lost and Found. I hope that's not the case. I really do. But who knows? We, 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 will, we will never know. Either way, it's, you know, maybe there's no conspiracy that way, you know, mm-hmm. of a cover-up. But 
the negligence. It's good to ask questions anyway. Yeah. The negligence is, Either is way, apparent no matter what. Because when you think, put yourself in the position of finding these items, not knowing who they belong to, you know, did you not have, like, it just makes me think of their system. Like, don't they have the names of everyone that's out there? Like, how aren't they doing these headcounts? How are you getting away with that? And maybe that's why they tried so hard to bring up journal entries and this and that, just so they are like, hey, we know that we were running our business like shit. Like, obviously, yeah. we weren't doing a very good job. Either way, they lost everything financially. Like, their business went under. I so read it. didn't even, sorry. I was just going to say, I read in one source that they closed it after they paid the fine or maybe so they didn't have to pay the fine and then reopened it oh like a bankrupt yeah bankruptcy i don't think and then just, i uh, uh, can't confirm that i did read it in one source that they reopened hmm. under a different name but it was all the same people um that's just, just shitty. That out there i don't know yeah but it's you know it just is so suspicious when you think of maybe people were just that negligent that in their own heads that everyone's I, so concerned with themselves in their own world except maybe for you get the, comfortable yeah You're like dude we're tourists it's a tourist industry out here it's port douglas we're literally not market town it just is like, so maybe they just got comfortable but again you're it's like i had said that too earlier how hard is it to keep tw- track of 26 people could it just be there like old what are people getting paid list? for yeah well like what are isn't there someone to do that that just seems standard like this is 1998 it's not like that long ago right like are they that like i don't know I, it it's just so weird to me maybe it it was a time where it was you know, I just or maybe it just not enforced fully... heavily. Maybe there was supposed to be processes, yeah. but maybe it just wasn't as enforced. But the good thing is that because of this, Noel Noonan he recommended that uh, certain dive safety reforms need to be introduced, yeah, including headcount confirmations, a lookout who remained on the boat during dives, and new identification measures. And it worked. Yeah. So today, the requirement is that captains and dive masters independently confirm each headcount. All passengers need to be back on that boat. All of the doors are closed and everyone is in their seats. The crew watch the passengers to ensure that nobody's leaving their seat and all of the crew members separately conduct a head count and then they meet up and they compare the numbers with one another. So it's really thorough, yep. especially in comparison to procedures from 1998. Maybe procedures like this were supposed to be happening in 1998, oh, but hopefully. but weren't, hey. you know as heavily enforced or recommended but nowadays this is the this is the reform that has happened things were more relaxed like i guess they they probably were just so much more relaxed you know like it's crazy to think about because i think like really like it is only 20 something years ago like it wasn't like the 70s where you're yeah you're like they don't it didn't even really have that much technology like the 90s late 90s were taking off with so many things like how did you not have some type of system in place that was like yeah, tracking everyone even if you did you can't at that guess at that time hold people accountable or um hold people to hold people to the standard of actually following the process and procedures but yeah it is horrible i mean the <laughs> poor tom and eileen literally were it's lost not- at sea and that's the reason the reform happened um you know it's just nice that it happened but woof yeah woof so, you know how you said before, like, well, maybe it wasn't like a, it's, maybe it's not a conspiracy theory. Like, maybe it wasn't a whole conspiracy we, we to cover We knew that up. it was them and we knew that we accidentally left them at C and yeah. B, you know. Purposely ignored that wallet Because we didn't want to get in trouble and we covered our own asses. Yeah. Like, maybe it wasn't that extreme. But. 
Well, I mean, I have mentioned that they've never, Tom and Eileen have never been found. Mm -hmm. uh, their whereabouts are unknown. And I mean, they're both presumed dead at this point. But, you know, that never stops people from speculating on the disappearance and the manner of the death and circumstances around the disappearance, all of that. So let's get into a couple theories people have. The first one. Murder, suicide, or suicide. So the diary entries apparently suggest that the couple had personal troubles, which led to the defense suggesting they both died by suicide. Theories vary from whether they went out there that day with the intention of suicide or if they made a suicide pact after realizing that they were abandoned at sea. And they also, the defense had also suggested that Tom murdered Eileen and then he died by suicide. In my opinion, just in my personal opinion, nothing in their waking life suggests suicide. They were both really close to their families. Mm -hmm. They were open with their friends and they were, and like anybody that was close to them, that was a part of their life, didn't really see anything troubling that could help prove that this theory is true. Yeah. I know that is not set in stone. I know there is a ton of people who, who lead their lives like, like it's all roses and they actually are really, really sad or depressed yeah. inside. I know that that is always a possibility, but if, We'll just take, we'll just, we'll just run with that. They were, they were close to their family. They were happy. No one reported anything. Eyewitnesses from the day of their disappearances and the days leading up to their disappearance all described that those two were excited. They were happy. They were in good spirits. And I don't think, especially because all of this is based on diary entries. Yeah. I don't think you should take anybody's diary entries as gospel. I would hope that no one would read my diaries oh my one day god. because I know, like I know right now, like, oh my god, I've definitely written some things when I, I was know. feeling a type of way or if I was like, just anything, like you, just you venting or you talking mm -hmm. about something is not like a, you have to get stuff out. Like journaling is therapeutic for some people. Yes. Like some people are very self-aware and they like to talk through their emotions and yes. help them work through things. Like that's normal. And I would fucking pray to God that oh my someone God. didn't look what? at some of the things and be like, oh, she was feeling, hmm, look at this. This, this then, says she hates herself and she thinks she's stupid and she wishes she was dead and she's going to jump off her balcony. <laughs> like, I don't want anyone reading that because like you're saying, all excellent points. A lot of people use diaries or you don't have to call it a diary, maybe journaling or just making notes in your phone, anything like that. It's therapeutic. It's yeah. a way to vent. It's a way to express emotions that you don't want to put into other people because they're not necessarily 100% true, pure feelings you always yeah. have. It's not your whole identity. Exactly. To take that and then make it, this is who you are. You said this. We're going to use mm -hmm. it against you. Like, that's not right. Plus, people don't write in their, I don't mean, per, I, no, that is, I'm not going to speak for all people. Mm -hmm. Just right. from personal yeah. experience. I never write in down that, you know, I'm so fucking happy um i had a great day because i don't journal all the time if i decide i'm yes. gonna journal it's because i've reached a point in my mental state where i feel like i have to export it all just put it down yeah get it out of your system and then typically i throw Write it away about but... certain yeah i totally relate to that but i'm yeah. not writing like i had a great day today it was beautiful weather and i got to cuddle my cat and yeah. i went out with my friends like no i'm not writing that no i'm writing when i feel like i'm at death's door <laughs> Like, That's, yeah. So it's just, I don't think you should ever take somebody's diary for gospel, let alone 
use it against them? Yeah. People who are not even around to defend themselves and your their poor family has to sit there and hear their their sister, their daughter, their loved one. Yeah, and you know that they wouldn't want that out there. And you yeah. would just hurt for them thinking like, oh my God. Exactly. Now your business is out there. Like people are putting words in your mouth, speculating about you and you can't speak for yourself. And like, just that would be so That's sad. That's the thing that I, that drives me the most insane is that they they can't speak for themselves. Because sure, yeah. you can have family that you're close to, that you speak to all the time, who can maybe give testament or speak on your behalf a bit. But at the end of the day, no one knows you more than you. Yeah. So like just to not even be able to speak for yourself is it's just such a greasy move by the defense. And I just it drives me insane. And I can't believe that you can still go out there and find those diary passages that they used. I can't believe that like that they were allowed to be used as evidence. Because they yeah. like why was that allowed? Do you think that that would be it just like, that's I don't know. It just goes to show how I mean, I can I can understand and empathize with a, a town or a state that is really only on the map because of tourism money, um, being a huge tourist industry. Mm-hmm. I can imagine and understand how that would be impacted if you had a case like this. But I just don't think that playing dirty like that, being greasy, um, trying to downplay the reputation of people that you don't know about that that at the end of the day regardless of everything you left them out there yeah you should take responsibility you should did they ever even apologize no like that's so messed up not even even the fact that they couldn't even be like we didn't mean for this to happen we are so sorry that it happened though like you couldn't even say that they never apologized ridiculous just said it's not it's not our fault and then the um Jack, the guy that was on trial, he, I don't have it in my notes, but there was a quote by him and it was just talking about him, talking about how this event ruined his industry, his livelihood. It's stressful for him. It's stressful for his children, which I do sympathize with. I do feel bad for his children. They had nothing to do with it. Yeah, they didn't ask for this. But just don't say anything then. No one wants to hear about how sad this is for you. Of course, it's sad for you if you look at it through a certain lens where you decide you're the victim. (laughs) But shut up. Yeah. If you're not going to apologize or take responsibility, don't talk. You didn't lose your life in a way that was had nothing to do with you. Like it was out of your control. You had control in this situation. Could have been handled so much differently. At the end of the day, you're the skipper. You're the man manning that boat. Mm -hmm. Sorry, bud. Negligence can't believe he wasn't charged with it. No, not guilty. Just a fine for the company. Theory two. Attacked and eaten by tiger sharks. (laughs) Why specifically tiger sharks? I don't know. It's just in every article. (laughs) Tiger sharks. It's tiger sharks. Okay, guys? So people think they were attacked and ultimately eaten by tiger sharks. Um, You know what? World-renowned Australian diver Ben Crop. He's got 48 years of diving experience and more than a hundred... 10,000 log dives he's among those that believe that they were eaten by tiger sharks well then there you go he said my personal feelings is they were taken by a tiger shark (laughs) i love that quote (laughs) so people also look to the fact that eileen's wetsuit was torn at the butt and armpit area not realizing or caring that scientists 
determined more than likely those were from coral. Yeah, natural elements are a thing. Like, things right? can be ruined. It didn't have to, like, t- tiger sharks. Like, was there blood? Like, hello, that makes no sense. Wouldn't, would there be no blood evidence anywhere? So then there's people who hear that the theory of the tiger sharks and think it's absurd. So, yeah. Um, like, that couldn't happen. They couldn't have been attacked and eaten by tiger sharks because I guess tiger sharks don't inhabit the those waters um around say crispin reef and also apparently they're really docile sharks they're not man eaters um there's also the fact that so much of their personal equipment um was recovered and washed ashore yeah but there was no sign of a shark attack on them and there was no trace of blood their bodies their body parts or nothing like like you said wouldn't a you said earlier wouldn't a shark just eat yeah the suit and the equipment gonna like pull you out of it and make i don't know yeah that or even if they like sense. attacked you when your a piece of your suit floated away like i don't know you would just think you'd find something yeah but it's australia you're literally that whole east coast is just reefs it's the great barrier reef the people who would have analyzed that wetsuit more, more than likely would have known if they were dealing with coral if they were dealing with sharks mm-hmm um, the uh, conspiracy theory three is that they staged their disappearance or they faked their death, however you want to word it. In the trial, that was one of the things that was suggested by the defense was that they staged their disappearance by faking their own deaths. Quote unquote diving experts say that the couple could have easily swam to a well-frequented pontoon and waited to be picked up by rescuers. A local diver named Graham Connett said... Quote, there was a quicksilver dive site, a brightly lit permanent platform in the ocean used by divers that is 2.7 nautical miles from the dive site at St. Crispin Reef. It was in the area if they wanted to go there. There were like three or four boats in the area and a dive platform, and Tom and Eileen had five hours of light available. There's no doubt that they could have reached one of those conditions were excellent so they would have had to plan have a boat there have a plan new identities whole thing new life waiting for them because they can't bring that in their scuba outfit they would have had to literally plan all of that and then swim out there yes right and at like, the, at, sorry no well at the inquest mr a long job title christopher <laughs> coxon remember that guy yep. He he reported that the nearest refuge was actually a pontoon approximately six kilometers away. And you'd have to swim against a very strong current long, yeah. to get there. Um, also upstream current. And what are you, a salmon? Like, <laughs> is it salmon that do that or is it tuna? Yeah, salmon. Salmon okay, go yeah. upstream, yeah. <laughs> yep. That was good. That was a good one. Um, so, he, yeah, he'd, they'd have to swim against this really strong current, which would be nearly impossible. Especially if you're fucking exhausted, having been treading water uh it's it's really unlikely that they'd be able to even see the platform from where they were left but if they did see it they'd honestly they'd never make it over there because of the strong current yeah that just does not make sense again like so many of their theories don't make sense it's like face value ones where you hear it and you think well i bet oh i've been out in that area i know that there's a a pontoon a platform whatever yeah but but like okay but wouldn't you have to register there wouldn't you have to have like couldn't you just go there and pull up a boat and be like, have all your shit in it waiting for you and no one's there? Like, whose boat is this? What is it? How did they get it there? When did they get it there? They were traveling. Like, right. how did they? It just... I've never been when to you, the area yet. You would think like, well, there's no evidence to say that they didn't do that, but there like kind of <clears throat> is there because there is no evidence to say that they did and there would be. There would have to be something like... Something. What, like, that's a ridiculous thing to... 
to get into your scuba dive, like scuba diving gear, and then swim out to a de- like a destination that you pre-planned everything there. Like, I don't know. Why wouldn't they have just left when they put everything there to to put it there? Like, why'd they have to go out scuba diving and then fake a disappearance to go swim out there? Like, what? You know what? Are you going against Graham Conant? Are you saying that Graham Conant's theory like about the acting. Quicksilver dive site? <laughs> he's, a, he's just fake. This guy, man. Okay, you know how I mentioned at the trial, the excerpts from the diary being leaked to the press led to a ton of sightings and complicated stuff? Mm-hmm. So those sightings, quote-unquote, help fuel the theory that they fake their own deaths. So there was a bunch of sightings, but all you need to know is that the most convincing sighting was, I guess, people in the area saw, quote-unquote, suspicious activity. Uh, allegedly, they had seen on the afternoon of the, their disappearance this uh, game fishing boat fleeing the dive site. And then the other sightings just all kind of fall under the same umbrella of, you know, we saw Tom and Eileen in a bookshop. We saw them at this service station. They stayed at my hotel. Um, I saw them in the area around the dive site, so they must have find found a way to to swim sixty kilometers to shore. Like, yeah, just sightings like that. Nothing really concrete. But the detectives involved in this case, they actually investigated these reports. They were like, okay, we'll we'll investigate all of That's your good. supposed sightings on this stage death theory. Um, but then. After, I'm, I'm sure it was, like, probably reached a certain point where they were just like, oh, my God, we can't keep doing this. So they later stated that the they believe valuable time was wasted. And it was wasted because they were investigating possible links between the disappearance of Tom and Eileen and the case of a fellow American named Milton Harris, who was also from Baton Rouge. Oh, so Milton Harris um, attempted to fake his own suicide by jumping off of a car ferry in South Australia in 1985. So what's that? 13 years yeah. before. Um, but a rescuer saw him essentially dive or maybe pretend to fall, whatever, off mm-hmm. of this ferry. He went in to save him. He found Harris sitting on the seabed breathing from a concealed air bottle. Milton Harris tried again later, in this time successfully disappeared from a New Zealand ferry. He conveniently had a $2.8 million life insurance policy, which explains the attempts for him to fake his own death. Uh, he was never able to claim it, though, and four years later, his previously successful disappearance act ended up in an arrest on separate charges in 1989. So Detective Colin McCallum said that despite the fact that all three people were from Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. so Milton, Tom, and Eileen, just because they're from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, it doesn't mean that there is a link to the two incidents. And he dismissed the idea that Tom and Eileen had somehow faked their own suicide, calling it nonsense because of a few reasons. Their bank accounts were never touched. And... The diving slate washing that washed ashore suggests that they didn't plan their death. They wanted to be rescued. Yeah. So um, just specifically, this guy just thought, well, maybe we we invested too much time into the theory that they did fake their own death just because around here there was something similar that had happened a few years previous. And 
it doesn't appear <laughs> that they fake their own death. And then there's people on the opposite side of that who are like, well, Milton Harris did. He faked his own death, but he was never able to claim that insurance policy. Maybe yeah. he also wasn't able to, to access his bank accounts. Just because Tom and Eileen weren't able to access their bank accounts or chose not to doesn't mean that they're not alive. So, like, it's a tough position where you can argue it either way. And I guess kind of just depends where you fall. Yeah. The last theory as to what happened to them out there is um, dehydration and drowning. So just because you're left on a, you're left behind at sea, you know, like it's not a big deal. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're instantly going – it's not a death sentence. Uh, in January 2002, a guy named Paul Lucas, who was a tourist, he had actually – only been on less than 10 dives so he wasn't even nearly as experienced a diver as tom and eileen were yeah and he was left behind by a dive boat in northern new south wales so that's the state just below queensland australia okay and he survived for 40 hours in stormy seas wow so you can survive yeah um the real danger isn't the fact that you're left out in open water it's the tropical heat so without fresh water Someone floating in the middle of the ocean may dehydrate long before a rescue aid is available. Yeah. So drifting helplessly back and forth on the tides, especially because where they were left, Tom and Eileen were left, it, it was had the strong current. Um, so being stuck out there drifting in the tides, you're under the oppressive heat of the sun. Uh, they most likely were driven delirious by dehydration and ended up removing their equipment, something we talked about previously. Yeah. And without the buoyancy provided by their dive jackets and wetsuits, treading the water would become really difficult, and they ultimately would have drowned. Mm -hmm. So John Haynes, that's Eileen's father, he does believe this is the case. He thinks that they became dehydrated and disoriented and ultimately succumbed to drowning, where they were possibly eaten by sharks because of the drowning. Mm -hmm. And I... Obviously, my opinion doesn't really mean anything, but I do think that that's what happened. Mm -hmm. um, especially because when you dive, there's there's an area that you are supposed to stay within. It's I'm just putting myself in their position, and I believe that it, it probably is easy to get caught up in how cool it is. <laughs> You're diving. It's really cool. It's beautiful. The reef is right there. You're in it. And you probably just want to keep going a little bit further and a little bit further. Like, well, it can't hurt. I'll just say, that's cool. I want to see that. I want to see that. And you, and you don't really realize how far away from the boat you're getting. Yeah. You just want to see that next thing, that next cool thing. Here we go. And then you end up becoming much farther away than you realize from the boat, from other divers. And I think that it's probably an easy mistake to make. And I think that this could have happened to them especially since they told that one diving instructor, um, Catherine, mm -hmm. that they were going to go off and do their own thing. And they were left at sea. They got disoriented. They dehydrated and drowned. That's what makes the most sense to me. I agree. That makes the most sense. Especially because they were always described as veteran divers. They were just probably comfortable. They felt they were in their mm -hmm. element. You don't realize, okay, we've never um, scuba dived here before. Um, 
we don't really realize the certain conditions, the current, all of that. Yeah. It could have easily just got um, involuntarily, like, overwhelmed, you know? Like, just stayed down too long, maybe, or swam too far away. Yeah, lost track of time. Like, or what if something little happened? Like, what if they mm-hmm. got, what if, you know, they did go too far and then maybe one of them got a little bit swept away by something they had to find each other like maybe there was something that happened that was like we don't even know about and they that's why they didn't make it back like i'm sure it wasn't intentional something had to have happened when they were out there that stopped them from getting back Mm -hmm. like that they lost track of time they were interrupted by something maybe it could have been anything because we don't know we nothing on them has been recovered so Mm -hmm. what if like you had found their body or something. What if, they, like, one of them got stuck in something? Like, some of them, one of them got know. stuck, yeah. or maybe their watches weren't or were defective. Maybe yeah. they weren't working, so they looked at it and realized, oh, this is. It's been three ten for t- how long? However long, yeah. yeah. Oh fuck! So we surface and yeah, so true. It could have been a small malfunction, like something exactly. that was, you know, and and it was um, the third dive, right? So the first two were in the same area at St. Crispin's Reef, and then they had moved i can't say for sure how far away yeah but it was a different it was a new site fish city they never dove down there at all ever mm-hmm. but then to to choose to opt into diving alone on this last one that's different could have it could have been any sort of small thing yeah any sort of small thing <sighs> we'll just never know because they're not here to tell us and we don't really have much other like any other evidence to help maybe explain the timeline of events they went through other than we know their last dive was at three. Yeah. And we know that the following morning at 8 a.m. they wrote on that diversely. You know how a lot of people were disappointed with the verdict because they felt the court and the jury were only thinking about tourism money and how the trial would affect the industry and stuff like that. Yep. While the publicity surrounding the case could have led to disastrous effects for the Queensland dive industry, and a lot of people were really worried. Nearly 50,000 people work in Queen- Queensland's Barrier Reef tourist trade, which is worth $4.3 billion. Wow. Australian dollars. And it hosts nearly 4 million day trips every year. So it is a huge part of their economy. Yeah. Uh, High-profile cases like this one, like the one of Tom and Eileen, it could have ruined local operators and their businesses, especially in this case where Tom and Eileen's disappearance hadn't been an unavoidable accident. It was mostly due to negligence. Yeah. So dive boat crews were supposed to conduct a head count before departing, count every diver going in, coming out of the water, and then carry out another head count before the boat leaves the dive site. But obviously this did not happen because Tom and Eileen were not accounted for. Mm-hmm. Officials, premiers, other dive businesses, they were all openly worried about the economy and the industry. And so the media ran with that with that fear. And they published though the stories to push the narrative that Tom and Eileen faked their own deaths because they had access to those very specific set of diary entries. They were trying to distract people from the truth, which is they were actually left at sea and never seen again. Yeah. The risk of people being too afraid to go diving was too great. 
and they didn't want to face that reality because essentially this entire economy is built on the tourist industry. Yeah. Um, and when I was researching this, it actually, I don't know if you know this story. Um, I'd heard, heard about it a long time ago, so I'm kind of foggy on the details, but, um, and I think of Seinfeld <laughs> when the lady from the Outback who said the dingo ate her baby. Yeah. So <laughs> when she went to people and said, like, a dingo ate my baby, she was accused of killing the baby because the government didn't want people to think that if they came to the Outback, they ran the risk of aggressive dingoes that <laughs> could potentially steal and eat your baby. And it was years later that they finally did admit that, okay, sorry. Dingoes could do that, but we didn't want to. We didn't want to mess up our tourist industry. That's so messed up. So it kind of makes me think of that. Yeah. Um. Just crazy. <laughs> That's just important to note about how it's. I, yeah, I think it's, it's just totally all encompassing. It's yeah. This horrible case. It's the small guy's business who is just trying to make his living. Ba- basically, because of tourism, people will do crazy things. To protect what's theirs. It just know? goes to show that the picture is always bigger. Mm-hmm. There's always so much at stake. It shouldn't take away from Tom and Eileen. There's still two people at the end of the day who were abandoned at sea. And their family has no answers. Yeah. Other than, well, the ship left without them. They just have to accept it. They don't get to even bury them. So, And that's like know? obviously the main thing that, especially Eileen's father is so vocal about. It's just like... Well, I don't even have, I don't even have their bodies. I don't have anything from them. Mm-hmm. We just have to accept what experts tell us, where the evidence points to, and it's really all we have. So sad. In two thousand three, the movie Open Water was released, which was sort of inspired by Tom and Eileen's disappearance. It's a survival horror thriller about an American couple who go scuba diving while on vacation in the Caribbean, but the crew on the scuba boat accidentally leaves them behind, so they're stranded miles from shore in shark-infested waters. It grossed uh, $55.5 million worldwide, in case you were wondering. Wow. People are hit or miss on the movie. Uh, The overall consensus is that the movie is okay. It just shouldn't be labeled as being, quote-unquote, based on true events. Um, Yeah, like, that's misleading, as if they know what happened to them. Right, and that's just, like, how people feel about it. Like, if they wrote, like, a review or did a paper on it or some shit. Yeah. But the writer and and director of the film has said, like, it's only kind of inspired. Yeah, inspired, yeah. Like, I, I read about their story... Um, I never intended it to be any sort of documentary about their mm-hmm. lives. It just had an inspiration. So I'm with you. It should say inspired by true yeah. events or just don't say it at all. And people who can draw the line, draw the line. Yeah. But that's you can a- say in an interview. You yeah. know, this is why I wrote this. Like, so a lot. that's a lot of people's main main beef is that don't say it's based on true events then. Yeah. Um. When Eileen's father heard about the movie's release, he said, as far as the movie's concerned, we're not interested. We won't see it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, are they, what, are they getting money from this? But if, you know, 
Why would they? It's not. I wouldn't. But I just don't know why they even had to mention them then. I know. That's like, the thing. It's like you obviously just did it for points or uh, publicity attention. or something yeah. to say it's based on true events. Then obviously people are going to be like invested. Like, yeah, this is terrifying. Holy fuck. What's really cool. So he's that uh, her Eileen's uh, father, John. He's like, yeah, we're not going to see it. But what's really cool about him and just kind of goes to show the type of man he is and his character, he holds no grudges against the crew and passengers on the outer edge. He said, quote, I don't have any hard feelings against anybody because it was an accident. The only um, disappointment he has about the whole thing is that among all of the equipment that's washed up and all of the evidence that people have found is that there's never been any trace of Eileen's body. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he elaborated by saying, quote, it leaves a big hole in you to lose your kid. That's part of your life. I wish they had found them. So we had something. I suppose we have the Great Barrier Reef. They're a part of that. Wow. End quote. Wow, he sounds like a beautiful man. I know. <laughs> He's just so wholesome. He's like, yeah. I just kind of want my daughter's body back, but hey, all you guys, it's not your fault. He doesn't want to be angry. He doesn't, you know. No, he's he very just, firm in his opinions of I yeah. will not see your movie or I'm upset with the verdict and stuff like that. But he's also very firm in in um, his acceptance of it. It was an accident. Mm-hmm. So in closing, Mike Jones, that's the friend that I of Tom and Eileen's that I quoted at the beginning about like the time of the Peace Corps and stuff. So he said, in the ridiculousness which has followed, no one has spoken on the lives they lived, the people whose lives they changed forever. Tom and Eileen should be honored and praised for the life they lived, not coldly depicted for their tragic end. The true tragedy is what has happened since they were abandoned. To the parents, family, and friends of Tom and Eileen, I offer my deepest sympathies. Though they died far too early, they died as heroes. They answered the call of service, and they helped untold numbers of people. That's very nice. And that is the story of the disappearance of Tom and Eileen Longren. Longergan. Long, Longerin. <laughs> Never going to get it. God bless you. Longerin. Longerin. <laughs> wow. That's so intense. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure you rate and subscribe, follow us on Instagram, on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and be sure to share the show. Thank you everyone for your kind words, your support and encouragement. We love it when people express how much they like the show, when they send in case suggestions. It means the world to us that you're just as involved in it as we are. Thanks, Steph, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love having you on the show. And we'll catch you on the dark side. That ends that. God bless you, KB. That was cute. Tom and Eileen. Oh, no. (laughs) Come on, Eileen. Oh, something, something in this moment. You mean everything. Excellent. It's bent. Oh.
paper hands. <laughs> Your hands that are a hundred years old. Whose hands did you steal? <laughs> I told you. I need O'Keefe's working hands. Oh, I used to use that all the time. It's apparently good. No, it is. Yeah, when you work in a warehouse. Disgusting. Your hands are disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> all right, Tom and I. <clears throat> crackled, bitch. It's going to be your parting gift. You're going to leave and I'm going to be like, here's some O'Keefe's working hands. So you don't scare everybody up there. You dry. People from Southern Ontario have gross hands. It was humid there. Like, what's wrong with you? You could have my hands that are perpetually hot and sweaty. It's way worse. Mine are just dry. Back into the wash bays of the car wash. And they rev their engines and they listen to Pitbull. It's really cool. I, it, oh my god, nodding? come on, guys. Am I right? Yeah, you're right. Oh, good. Guys, I wish that was him. I wish I was that cool, guys. Don't said, want no short dick, said I'm just man. podcasting on my Saturday night. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> it took me way too long to grasp that. <laughs> God, thank you, Car Wash Man, for interrupting our good stream of consciousness yeah. over here. <laughs> Whoa! Synchronicity. Whoa, I'm the same bird playing. 